0: And various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: Thank you, friends. I want to jump right into the Word of God here. In fact, I want to share right off the bat two scriptures that are about the Word of God, that are taken from the Word of God. <laughs> and there are many passages of Scripture that speak about the Word of God. But Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word, your word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then, Yohanan, John chapter 17, verse 70 says, and this is Yeshua, Jesus, speaking, And he's speaking some of the last things he's going to say to his apostles before his suffering and crucifixion. He's speaking, and he says to them, and it's really a part of a prayer, and we just prayed. I hope we all have a prayer life where we cry out to God. But Yeshua makes this proclamation. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Can you say those last four words with me your word is truth let's say that one more time please your word is truth now that's a great uh, anchor point for all of us If we keep that in mind that God's word is truth and then we when we come to situations in life to not be afraid to look into God's word and see how his truth applies to that situation now, these two passages, Psalm 119, 105, and Yochanan John 17, 17, these are well-known verses of the Bible. Well, let me ask you, how many have heard those two verses before? I certainly have. And these are well-known passages from Scripture that tell us that God's Word is the light and the truth, as we just repeated. And these verses, the two verses, that's all we read so far, these verses are found among the 31,173 verses and 1,189 chapters that are in the Bible. And before you feel like, wow, that's just too much, I can never read that book, I have a suggestion for you. Little by little, little by little, read through the scripture. I know in, one, uh, in Bible college one time, we were actually given a copy of the Bible. I still have it at home. They used the NIV, which I was glad because I wasn't familiar with NIV. And we had to read through the Bible in one semester. And they also gave us a little chart, and we had to color code the Bible. Every time it said Israel, we had to put a certain color on it. Every time the words cut off were used in the Torah, we had to put a black box in the vernacular then at the Bible school among the students, we would talk about the black box. You're going to get black boxed, you know, that type of thing. But you know what? There were some initially, some of this, my fellow students, when they were assigned to read the whole Bible in one semester, and you could just see them saying, oh, I can't do that. You know what happened? Little by little, layat layat, slowly, slowly, as they just kept pressing into it and been faithful with it, they ended up reading and color coding the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. So, friends, reconnect with the Word of God if you're distant from it or dig deeper, as we learn from our children today, dig deeper into the Word of God, because we certainly need it in this generation. How many agree we need the Word of God in this generation? We need it desperately in the halls of Washington, D.C., and Oklahoma City, and all the uh, capitals of all the, the, the cities, uh, city capitals, the states, the protectorates. We need the Word of God to, to be you know, great and use mightily by those that would fear the Lord and make our government decisions. And yet, despite certain trends that are in our society, and most of us are quite aware, despite these trends that we read so much about that we kind of turn our our heads and say, how could this be? The Bible remains an exceedingly sought-after book. Exceedingly sought-after And if you think that's hyperbole, if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm actually not. There's an organization, it's a a non-commercial research, it's an international non-commercial research organization that accumulates data about printed things. It's called Words Rated, one word, Words Rated. And they offered their statistics from 2022 concerning printed matters. And they were asked the question, how many Bibles are sold per year, in their opinion and from their data? And Words created this non-commercial organization that does research and collects data about printed things, including the Bible, offered this written response, quote, the number of Bibles sold on average has more than doubled in the United States since 1950. It goes further. Quote, and I'll continue to quote, they said, again, words rated an international non-commercial research and data firm, they said that 20 million Bibles are sold each year in the United States. 1.66 million Bibles are sold each month. 384,650 Bibles are sold per week. 54,945 Bibles are sold every day. 2,289 Bibles are sold per hour. Just in the time we're in here, 2,289 Bibles will be sold statistically. 38 Bibles are sold per minute, and 6.4 Bibles are sold every 10 seconds. Do you think that there's a hunger in some, some circles for the Word of God that people are looking for the truth? Well, as I read Psalm 119, 105... And particularly John 17, 17, Yeshua, Jesus said, your word is truth, is truth. Now, those are sold issues. And again, I'm still quoting from Words Rated, this non-commercial data firm that studies printed things. But they also added that in addition to the Bibles that were sold, all those stats that I just gave you, all that data, 115,000, And 55 Bibles are given away or distributed every day on average. Let me say that again. 115,055 Bibles are given away or distributed every day on average. And let me do a Michael poll here today. How many of you can think of a time when you gave away a Bible? Most of us. You were part of this statistic if you did it this past year. 115,055 Bibles are given away or distributed every day on average. And that's the end quote of their data. So friends, please hear me what I'm about to say. Having a Bible, the Word of God, is a good start. It's a good start. But it is not enough when it comes to a spiritual walk. One may have all the Bibles that you can think of stuffed into their office, but that's not enough, in my opinion. The Word of God placed prominently on our desk at home must become the Word of God lived out prominently in our daily lives. That's what we need. To, to activate the Word of God in our life by the power of the Spirit through yielding to what the Word of God says that's what we need now as we read the bible if we will read scripture with an open heart and when i say scripture i'm referencing uh the book of bereshit genesis all the way to revelation as we read scripture if we'll read scripture with an open heart so to say and can i say this with eyes of faith if we'll read scripture that way and realize when we're reading scripture it's not reading the front page of the new york times it's not reading the daily Oklahoman. When we read the word of God, the scripture, we're reading God's word, his truth that endures forever in a written form. In the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, remembers and says this, says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow an unusual phrase because that's a sacrifice phrase joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents where of the heart Many of us, when we've read the Scripture, we've opened the Scripture, and I know even sometimes just maybe even, can I say it this way, accidentally opened the Scripture, and there's this passage of, that we read in the Word, and suddenly it hits us like right between the four eyes, the eyes and the forehead. It comes alive to us, and it does something. It will receive the Word of God gladly receive the message of the truth particularly the message of Yeshua the Messiah who is the way the truth and life our lives change really that's the testimony of a believer that at some point in that believer's life and if you're a believer here today you can concur with me at some point in that believer's life the word of God became real to that person and the person responded to the word of God that's really my testimony maybe that's yours too that the word of god became real 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and verse 17 declares this it says all scripture is given by inspiration of god literally all scripture is god breathed and is profitable All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In verse 17, that the person, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can we be thoroughly equipped in life spiritually without the Word of God? The answer is no, we need the Word of God. It's God-breathed. We need it in our lives. And one of my goals here, every time I get up here to speak, I have educational goals. I have goals. One of my goals here today, and may God grant this goal, is that someone here will be inspired to get deeper into the Word of God. In fact, I pray it would be all of us inspired to dig deeper into the Word of God and go from reading to studying. And learning the Word of God and memorizing the Word of God because it is a treasure. You know, it is like a rare diamond, the Word of God. It's like a rare diamond. uh, You know, the Bible has many, many facets to it. If you read it carefully from Genesis to Revelation, it contains wisdom. When I say wisdom, most people think of Proverbs, but there's other places where there's lots of wisdom in the Word of God. It's wise. It contains history. It contains advice. It contains warnings. It has prose and poetry spliced into it. There are acrostics. There are hymns. There are prophecies in the word of God. There are commandments, mitzvot. There are meshalim parables in the word of God. And there are even psalms, beautiful psalms. But there are psalms that speak most of the time to our own human tendencies. I cannot tell you personally how many times I've opened talim psalms. And it seemed like the emotions that were being written about in the psalm were something I was going through. Unbeknownst to me, someone else has gone through this too. That's the beauty, the many facets of this rare diamond of truth, which is the Word of God. And the Bible is a written work. Most of us realize that because we have it in books. It's in our Torah scroll there, some of it. It's a written work, but you know, we we, we have no musical score to its songs. Many times I thought, man, I wish I had the original CD of King David on his harp singing some of these psalms. But we don't. There are no recordings so that we can hear its original melodies. We can't necessarily hear how the writer of that particular section of Scripture, let's take the psalms, for example, how the writer pronounced those Hebrew words. Or how they would do if they had to pronounce Spanish or English or Yiddish or something. (laughs) We don't have that. We can't really hear the tone of voice that was behind and the the facial expressions that that the, the individual writer was exhibiting. How did Baruch look when he was writing down the words of Jeremiah? What was his face like? How did their faces look when, as we read in Psalms, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, we sadly hung our harps, and we wept for you, O Zion. What were those facial expressions like? Or what about when Rapshul Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'm going to say it again, rejoice. What was his facial expression? We don't have any of that. (laughs) We have no films of their faces, (laughs) you know, DVDs. We don't have anything like that. But we have the Scripture, the treasured words of the Scripture. And thankfully through the hard work of people that have gone before us and some who are doing it right at this moment, it's been translated into many languages, many languages. If you're in Hungary, you can get a Bible that's in Hungarian. Back in the 1880s, when many Jewish people were coming from Europe and they spoke Yiddish as their mother tongue, there were scriptures in Yiddish written in Yiddish characters I have two books like that. One of, one of the, uh, the Bibles that I have is written in Hebrew ca- characters and it's Yiddish. But there's another one that I have that's a Bible written in Yiddish, but is written in English characters. Transliterated would be the words. Somebody way back in the 1800s decided that getting the teachings of the Word of God to our Jewish people was very important. And I still think that's an important task now in the 21st century. Part of the vision of this congregation. So people the world over, regardless of their language, so many languages now have scripture that have been, you know, well translated into that language. They know and they realize that when they read the scripture, something's going to happen to them, and it's they're going to to learn. Can you say to learn? They're going to learn. That they're gonna read the Bible and they're going to learn if they're willing to be taught. How can you learn something if you're not willing to be taught? And by the way, I had you repeat those two words, to learn. I had you repeat those because those two words to learn, if you're familiar with English grammar, actually most grammars, those are that was an infinitive. Not infinity, infinitive. Grammarians call that, to learn, they call that an infinitive. And infinitives occur in the Bible, the to do something, occur in the Bible, in virtually every translation of the Bible, one finds infinitives in that language. Be it Spanish, be it Yiddish, be it French, be it Arabic, there are infinitives in the Bible. Infinitives again is when, when you take the word T O to, you take that word, and then you connect it to a verb, an action word, to do something such as I had you repeat, to learn. The infinitive to learn. Now, other examples would be to study, to sing. To dance. These are infinitives. And it's because of infinitives, there's a reason I'm saying all this. It's because of infinitives that Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, that is part of this week's parashah, it's because of infinitives that this particular passage, Devarim Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13, has captured the attention of Bible students for centuries. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 from the Torah. Here's what it says. Most of you have probably heard this before. It says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require? The Hebrew is really quite simple. <laughs> What does the Lord your God require of you? It's interesting that the Hebrew word shoel is in the present tense, as if it's an ongoing present action. The requirement is an ongoing action. It it, it permeates even to now, this generation. What is the Lord your God requiring of you? And the scripture answers itself, as is often the case, particularly in the Torah. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, notice the infinitives, to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep, observe, obey the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today. And then it says, for your good. Aren't you glad that God is about all that he is for the good of his people that he desires good for us i am think of how the how things would be different if he desired evil for his people or bad things to happen to his people Keep the commandments of the Lord as his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Now, this passage in the English language Bible, Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13 that I just read, is slightly different in the Hebrew, by the way. But it contains five infinitives. I was emphasizing them as we, as we were reading, the five infinitives, if you didn't catch it. The first one was to fear. Some translates say to reverence. To fear and the object of our reverence is the Lord our God. That's who we reverence. It's a joy to gather here reach Shabbat and reverence the Lord and gather. It's, it's so refreshing and, and cleaning, so to say, cleansing when we put aside the week. And Carl asked about how, how people's weeks were. And some of you did raise your, your hand. You had a pretty tough week. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to gather as believers and to reverence the Lord. It says to fear and the object of our reverence is the Lord our God. The second infinitive was to walk, to walk. And to walk how? It says, in all his ways. That's how we conduct ourselves. In all his ways. The third one is to love, to fear, to walk, to love. To love whom? <laughs> well, to love above all, first and foremost, the Lord our God. The fourth infinitive was to serve, to serve, to serve whom? To serve the Lord our God. The infinitive to serve, though, in this text in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, offers even offers even more specific information about serving the Lord. And may I ask you this question rhetorically? Are you serving the Lord now? Are you serving him? Or are you serving your own purposes? He knows the answer. You know the answer. May we be servants of him. But to serve whom? To serve the Lord our God. And this infinitive right afterwards offers even more information, more specific information, the question being how to serve the Lord. And this text tells us that we are to serve the Lord, how? With all our heart and all our soul. And the fifth infinitive in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13 is to keep. Some translate it, observe. Some English translations say, to obey. To obey. Now, these five ideas here, these five infinitives, let me summarize these again. To fear the Lord our God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul, and to obey the Lord, they offer tremendous guidance and direction for our lives if we're willing if we'll respond affirmatively to what this word is teaching us. Yet, if we honestly, and can I add the word humbly, we honestly and humbly assess our own life, this is not the time to look at your neighbor, but to assess our own lives. We may soon realize that just with these five infinitives... That are mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, just with these five infinitives, we fall short. And may I say, we fall far short. Far short. Perhaps you disagree with that conclusion when I say that we fall short of just in these five infinitives. You may disagree with that. Let me remind you again and ask you some questions about these five infinitives and see if you still disagree afterwards. Have you always conducted yourself in your life with reverence before the Lord your God? Have you always walked in his ways throughout your life? Have you loved God every moment and every day of your life? Have you served the Lord unfailingly, and continuously all your life? And did you do so with all your heart and all of your soul? And maybe this is the clincher. Have you obeyed God's word at all times in your life? Well, if you are like me, you must honestly answer that you have failed. You failed. I would even admit before today that at times I have miserably failed just these five infinitives. I've failed the five infinitives test, that's in Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, during my lifetime. I've fallen far short in just these five areas, and no doubt many more infinitives that we find in Scripture I have fallen short of. I've missed the mark somehow. I didn't attain to what Scripture sets as that high standard for us. And by the way, if you mess up just one of these things, just one, and here is this interesting confluence of standard Jewish teaching with what's taught in the New Testament. This remains standard Jewish teaching, and here it is 2,000 years ago expressed in the New Testament in the breach Hadashah by Yaakov, by James, in chapter 2, verse 10, and what does it say? For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in, how many? One point. He is guilty of all. Modern Judaism looks at the Torah and the commandments of the Torah as one unit. You buy into all that unit, and if you miss one, you've, like, you've broken all of them. Now let's hear what a first century Pharisee We know him as Saul of Tarsus, Paul. Let's see what he wrote about this very matter that I'm expressing today. He he, No doubt that he knew Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And I would even suggest to you that he knew the infinitives of the Bible, well beyond the five that are mentioned here in Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. As to the Torah, he was blameless, he was instructed by the, the preeminent rabbi teacher of his day, Gamaliel, Gamaliel, as we call him in English. There's no doubt he was well instructed in what the Torah and the scripture says. Now, Paul wrote this to the Romans in chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. As it is written, he wrote, or we would say it this way, the Bible says, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. And starting with this quote, all the way to the end of verse 16, everything that he says, after he says, it is written as it is written, everything that he says is a quote from the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Here are some of them. If you have a good Bible with a little bit of references connected to it, it'll tell you exactly where these verses are found. And it does show us, by the way, as an aside, it shows how masterful Paul was with Scripture and how much he knew of Scripture. That begs the question, how much Scripture have you set to memory? How much Scripture do you know? If you're like me, that's something I need to grow further into, But here's what he said, and everything here on now, as it is written, everything after that through verse 16 are direct quotes from the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Here's what he said. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Verse 13, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Everything I just read was a quote from the Hebrew Scriptures. Then... After Paul, Rab Sheol, Paul, Rabbi Saul, makes this assertion, he makes it emphatically with many references to show that those who think that they are so righteous, they're really missing the mark. He says this in Romans 3, the same chapter, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the Torah is revealed being witnessed by the Torah and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. There's where you connect with true righteousness, through the righteous one himself, who was blameless, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua to all, and notice this please, and on all who do what? Who believe. Are you a believer in the Messiah today? If you're a believer in the Messiah, you are connecting to his righteousness. That doesn't downplay the fact that we're supposed to obey what he says but it's salvation by grace through faith, and it's not by works, he says in Ephesians 2. And then he continues, though, in verse 22. For there's no difference, verse 23 is an often quoted verse. Some of you probably know this verse by heart. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is the most powerful word in that. Some suggest it's the word all because it wraps us all into the same boat, so to say, the proverbial boat of being, having sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And then verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. After saying everyone has fallen short of really God's ultimate purpose, his glory for them, he says we are justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption That is in Messiah Yeshua. If you've fallen short of the grace of God, if you've fallen short of his glory, if you've fallen short, you have a savior and his name is Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one who can cleanse you from your sin being justified freely by his grace, verse 24, again, through the redemption as in Messiah Yeshua, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, notice the word faith again, trust, belief, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Yeshua. Because it's on Messiah, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, today we have the privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You can see the elements right here in front of me. We remember when we do this, how Yeshua willingly, willingly bore our sins on the cross, on the tree, on the execution stake. He did that because, and maybe I can't speak for you, but I know that I have fallen short just in those five infinitives of Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. I've fallen short there. Maybe you have too. I've fallen short of those five infinitives of Deuteronomy chapter 10 or, or any of the other commands what I see in Scripture we're told to do. At times, I've fallen far short of those. In Scripture, we're told to forgive. In Scripture, we're adjured to be humble. In Scripture, we're told not to be a gossip In Scripture, we're told not to steal, and it includes stealing the Lord's tithes. In Scripture, we're told not to malign another's character. In Scripture, we're taught not to be a busybody. In Scripture, we're told not to be a tale-bearer. In Scripture, we're told not to meddle in other people's business. In Scripture, we're told not to bear a grudge. In Scripture, we're told not to sow discord, not to sow division, not to sow strife among the community. In Scripture, we're told not to rebel against godly authority, and we are told to be generous in mercy, money, and material. The three M's, mercy, money, material things. All those things I just said have Scripture validating them. The do's and the don'ts and the infinitives, when you read Scripture, go on and on and on. There are many more than five. Friends, please repent, repent of these and all sins that are at work in your life. Repent of them. It's because of these very sins in our life that we have these elements here. Messiah suffered because of us. Did he suffer for his own sins? No, he was sinless. Then who did he suffer for? I am so thankful before you today that he includes you and me in those sufferings. He bore our sins upon his own body upon the tree, the execution stake. And thankfully, through His holy Spirit, there is a resurrection life that will come to those who repent and turn to him and go a new way in their life, away from these sins of being a talebearer or meddler or immoral. Or any other, the many other infinitives that we find in Scripture. And we'll turn fully and humbly to the Messiah with our life. And no one can do it for you, you have to do it for you. If you'll turn fully and humbly to our Messiah, if you'll turn to Him, you'll receive of His grace and forgiveness. And you'll be averting a terrible fate, a terrible fate that may arrive at any time and circumstance that you don't know. Yeshua, his first lesson that he taught, his first proclamation is considered to be this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Imagine that's how he started out repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we learned just this day we learned about a young man that died unexpectedly our dear brother roy and sister lynn's 35 year old son are you ready are you ready for that moment friends look at your life and repent Now's the time of repentance. And here's the hope, the living hope we have. These are symbols of the living hope we have through our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. And there's no other way. Judaism will not do it. Religiosity will not do it. Your own good deeds will not do it, although we are to do good. None of them will do it. There's only one way. That's through the shed blood of Yeshua. He is the sacrifice lamb who gave himself for you. I think, I think he knows your name today. In fact, let me go further. <laughs> he knows how many, hair, how many hairs we have on our head. It says in Matthew and Matthew that even a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows all about it. Do you think you're hidden from him today? You may be hidden from the eyes of humanity but you're not hidden from him, and he knows exactly what you're all about. He knows that about all of us. And here's the very good news. And I have one more passage of scripture I'll share with you. If you'll humble yourself and repent and turn to him, you know what you're going to find? Mercy. Can you say that word with me? Mercy. The Lord is merciful. If you'll turn to him and repent and ask for his help with the sin that so easily besets you, ask for his help with that trouble you have, ask for his help if you're a meddler or a gossip, ask him to take that out of you. You're going to find mercy, but you must repent of evil and instead fear the Lord, walk in his ways, Love him, serve him with all your heart, and obey his Holy Spirit. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 said. Since I've been speaking of Yeshua, let me close with something he said. I love his parables. I did, what, uh, I did a yeshiva paper years ago on his parables. Here's one of them. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Many of you know this parable. Yeshua spoke this parable, Luke 18, verse 9, to some, it doesn't say everyone, but to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And not only that, they despised others. Here was his parable, verse 10. It has been a a earth-shaking parable that has resonated for 2,000 years and brought conviction and truth to those who will receive it. Verse 10, Luke 18, two men went up to the Beit Mikdash, the temple to pray. One a Perush, a Pharisee, and the other a Moches, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Meanwhile, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast like this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, Yeshua concludes and says, I tell you, This man, the one who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, this is a serious business message. Respond. Respond to the Lord. Don't miss your opportunity. If you've been doing any of these things you shouldn't be doing, gossiping, speaking about others, maligning people's character, all the to-dos and not to-dos of Scripture, there's hope for you and there's mercy for us. Shown in these elements. The shed blood of Yeshua, his broken body. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you this day. Thank you that you have shown mercy to us. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to walk in the way that leads to death. We don't have to conduct our lives in a way that's displeasing to you, that you promised if we will repent and turn to you. You will show mercy. You will grant forgiveness. You will, by your spirit, work newness of life in us. And Lord, thank you for the many testimonies here, hearing these words of people that are walking in newness of life whom you pulled out of the depths of sin and degradation and you placed them on your high place as a son, as a daughter of faith. Lord, help us as we commemorate you today with these elements. Help us to truly remember what you did. Help us to not get caught up in the ways of this world and society, but instead to be in the world, but not of the world. To be your examples in the midst of our lives, anyone that encounters our lives. Lord, I pray particularly for the children, each of the children that were up here today. Each child that's part of this congregation. I pray, Lord, that you'll put a hedge of protection around them in this evil and adulterous generation, that they, O Lord, will be as your malachim, as your messengers. Thank you that you are faithful. Even if we are faithless because you can't deny your own nature, that's who you are, you are faithful, just, and true, and you are merciful to those who repent and turn to you. Hashem Yeshua. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.